to Out Off Topic. We're back. Were we gone? It probably seemed like we were gone. Oh, I missed a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. My fault. Yeah, we take vacation sometimes. Yeah, well, normally when I take a vacation to Massachusetts, we do a bunch of recordings because we're in the same room. But it just didn't happen this time, unfortunately. Too much well, other stuff going on and too much renovation still going on in your house and no place to do it. Yeah, I mean, the renovations are basically done, but I haven't moved. The problem with with renovating a room is you have to empty the entire room. Right. So all, the, all those things have to go somewhere. So all those things are down in the basement where I would normally record from one of my front rooms. But uh, shortly, actually, I'm, I'm cleaning out this space where I'm at now. Because it will become the baby's room. So poor kid's finally getting his own room. Right. And then you'll have to always be recording in the basement. So. Yeah. And that's going to be my office. And Stephanie's office will be in the front of the house. Excellent. So she'll get daylight and I'll be down in the dark basement. When I work from home. But at least it's not a dark basement. Like you say dark yeah. basement, but it's not like it's, it's not, not super dank. Yeah, it's I'm, it's not. I'm joking. There's there's windows that open. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's very terrible. 70s. Uh, my if I do a, a zoom call for work, it'll be very interesting with all my wood paneling. That's OK. People will just wonder where your pool table is and your conversation bit. Yeah, my, my bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, plus it's quieter. I need it for recording among doing other things. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we, uh, let's see, we left off. We were going to go to cars and coffee. Cause we talked about, it was like the second cars and coffee of the season for Southern New Hampshire cars and coffee. Yeah. So we did end up going. Uh, but before that, uh, that was Sunday. Two May, Sundays ago, May f- something. 10th? 11th. 16th. May no. 16th. Yes, 16th? it was. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. When yeah. is your birthday? My birthday was May 18th, which was Tuesday. So that means yeah. that May 16th was Sunday. Yep. Was it before or after Labor Day? Uh, well before. Well before. Okay. One might say near two, though, I guess. Yeah, I mean. In the same <laughs> month. It's not in the same month. Labor Day is not in May? <laughs> no. It's Memorial Usually Day. It oh, that's right, too. Damn it. <laughs> uh, wow. Got him. All right. I think you tricked me on that one. You set me up for failure. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, you guys came in that morning, Saturday morning. Saturday morning, yep. Which we've established uh, is the 15th, significantly yeah. before Memorial Day. Labor Day. Damn it. I never keep them straight. It's a real problem. I don't understand why. I, I understand the significance of both of them, but for some reason, I can't remember which one is in which month. So, well, sorry. anyway, sorry to all our veterans. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, you worked on some cars. Yeah, so the plan was to go to the Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee um, because it happened to fall on the weekend where we were coming into town. We were landing on Saturday, and the show was on Sunday, and I got this crazy idea to take the Camaro out of storage and bring it there when the Camaro's been in storage since, I don't know, probably late 2018. 
I don't Oof, know if we used long, it. Huh? Yeah, I don't know if we used it at all in nineteen or twenty. Maybe it, it, it had been at least a year, if not two, had been in storage. So mm-hmm. I knew it was going to need some uh, a little bit of love. But we pulled it out of the trailer. It fired right up. You know, I, I'd asked my father if he could take the battery out and charge it. You know, probably a week before I got there, just to make sure it had some power to see if we could. You know, to see if it would actually hold the charge because it's an old battery and the car is not stored in a climate controlled building it's so it gets hot and cold and hot and cold um i feel feel like we'd have to go back to when you replace the oil pressure line for the gauge yeah that's probably when i parked it so 2018 sometime for sure but anyway so i had him charge the battery um the battery was dated 2014 so it's what's that seven years old now somehow um but thankfully it took the charge and uh, it held the charge all week so no problem there uh, so we got it started right up. It fired up on like the second or third dry. You know, I had to pump the gas a few times to get some fuel flowing from the tank to the carb. Um, fired right up pretty good. It's uh, put, put a good amount of black smoke out, but that's probably just from sitting. Backed it out and uh, did a little diagnostics of what was going on before I was planning on taking it to New Hampshire for the show. And it was leaking oil, coolant, and fuel. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> If it had a fluid in it, it was it was leaking out. So thankfully, none of them were a huge deal. Uh, I was able to find out where the oil was leaking from, and it was the valve cover on the driver's side back by the firewall. The fuel was leaking out of a crack in the body of the carburetor, which is not ideal. Um, but talking to my father about it, we both kind of remember back to, you know, back when we first put the car on the road, God, 24 years ago um, that it was had a leak at the carburetor then too. So if you, oh, and the coolant was leaking out of the thermostat housing on the intake manifold. So just stuff that happens when a car sits, you know, things dry up and change and move and the fuel leaking one isn't really from the car sitting. That's if you're familiar with a quadrajet carburetor, on the front of them, they have this brass fitting, and behind the brass fitting is like a stone filter that's in the carburetor body itself. So at some point in the car's life, somebody over-tightened that brass fitting, and it cracked the body of the carburetor, so it's like a hairline fracture going through that filter housing. And somebody had put like what looked like a JB Weld solution on it, you know, prior to even my ownership. So, you know, some 30 plus years ago this was done. And it's never been a problem, so I've never dealt with it. Um, but the JB Weld fix that was on there from 30 years ago uh, decided that it uh, no longer wanted to hold, and it was seeping out fuel from that line. I could wipe it clean or spray it clean with some brake cleaner and then step back and then watch it slowly get wet again as like the fuel seeped through the carburetor. So obviously I don't want to drive a car that's leaking that much fuel because... That's a recipe for disaster. So first things first, I wanted to make sure I could get that carburetor sealed back up. So I went down to the parts store and grabbed some um, JB Weld again, but the JB Weld that's specifically made for petroleum products, like gasoline or oil or whatever. You're taking quite a tour of all the JB Weld products. Yeah, yeah. Old crap cans will do that to you. So this stuff actually worked pretty well. I mean... The way I looked at it, if this old product was on the car for 30 years plus and it never leaked, 
then if I replace it with the same product, maybe it'll last another 30 years. It's now in a restoration repair? It's in a maintaining repair. It's not restoration. Restoration would be buying a new quadrajet carburetor. No, because now you're repairing a in-period repair. So now it is a uh, sympathetic restoration of it. I guess I'm keeping the same patina. Yeah. So this is a concourse level restoration repair. Yeah, concourse to a certain date. I'm not restoring it to 1968. I'm restoring it to 1981. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, what? I took a file and I filed down some of the old stuff just to give it the new stuff, something to bite to uh, and kind of spread it back on the same area, maybe overlapped it a little bit onto the carburetor body. I mean, the stuff's been on there for so long. There was no way I was getting it all off. Uh, Anyway, I put it on. I let it sit for the recommended amount of time. I think it was like five hours or something and uh, cranked it over and it was no more leak. So I'll call that a success for now. Uh, I'll keep an eye on it, obviously. Now that I know it's an issue, um, and if I have to buy a new carburetor at some point, I will, or possibly, I, mean, I think the body is made of like a pot metal, so I couldn't like have it welded probably, maybe brazed with some kind of material. I'm not sure how I'd fix it. I'd have to look into it. I don't know the, the chemistry of those kinds of metals, so I'd have to figure out what the, A, what it's made out of exactly, and, and B, what the repair process would be, or just buy a new carburetor. I mean, they're not... They're not unavailable, so. Um, but yeah, so they're all taken care of. The valve cover leak at the back of the valve covers actually just wound up being that the valve cover bolts were not as tight as they should be. So I tightened them down, and, and the leak stopped. And the coolant leak at the thermostat housing was just the gasket. So mm. put a new gasket on the thermostat housing, tightened on the valve covers, put that JB Weld product on the carburetor and uh, figured we were pretty much tip top. Um, took it for a drive up to uh, New Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee the next day and, and no issues at all. It made it like actually without any issue at all. <laughs> it drove pretty good the whole way there. So it was good to, to support the old show that we were involved with and uh, see how it's grown and where it's moved to. What's it? It's in Derry now, right? Is that the city we were in? Yeah. Yeah. The motor loft in Derry. Yeah. So it was a pretty neat spot. It did lack the coffee portion of the cars and coffee, which is a little disappointing, but I guess that uh, there was supposed to be a coffee truck and it broke down that morning on the way there. Oh, so, brand. yeah. Well, you know, crappy old cars and crappy old coffee trucks. So, the good thing, uh, kind of where it is, it's a little secluded and off of the main area, like the main road. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't attract a lot of attention, which is good. From both. She, she does have permission to be there. Right. But it does, it just doesn't get, like, you don't get, like, random people driving by grandstanding that you sometimes get. Yep. And if somebody does do something stupid, you know, because, unfortunately, no matter how much you try to control that, somebody might still do something stupid. If somebody does do something stupid, at least it's more hidden from the public eye. So when somebody does, you know, revs their car leaving or cranks their stereo or does a burnout leaving the parking lot, it's not onto a main road with other businesses that are going to be full of people and police and annoyances. So it's a little bit more of a buffer zone between the general public and the car show crowd. So 
it, we don't we don't encourage anybody to do anything, you know, no burnouts, no revving, no loud music, but you can say it as much as you want. Somebody's still going to do it. So it's good to be a little more separated, I think, from the general public than the other location was. And I think once they have a, a regular, you know, coffee and donut truck, then it'll be a perfect location. So yep. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoy the cars and coffees more than any other kind of car show usually because they're so laid back. You know, it's just a, a gathering of car enthusiasts. Yeah, we took some nice back roads to get there from our friend's house, too. So, yep. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. Um, also, while you were fixing the Camaro, I did. Uh, I was fixing the G20. Yes, you are. Yep. The right rear. So I guess it's got like two control arms in the rear, like a Subaru. Okay. For some strange reason, just one was like really rotted. The other side had like surface rust and one was like almost rotted through, I realized when I was doing the suspension. I wonder if others were already replaced. Nope. They definitely no. are original. Hmm. But it's like the car is weird. Like on the driver's side, the backing plate for the brake looks nearly brand new. And maybe it was replaced, but it looks nearly brand new. And the backing plate on the passenger side is like super crusty. But it's like the only thing that was like really rusty, like other than this arm, it's just weird. Was that arm the same side as the packing plate that's rusty? Yeah. And some people have theories that like, well, maybe it was parked on the street and would get more salt on that side or something. It was the right side you're saying? Yeah. So that would be the curb side. Yeah. Well, generally stuff on the right rusts faster than stuff on the left. Because that stuff okay. is it. Well, that stuff is it's, it's legitimate. You know, being in, in auto body for a long time, you see a lot more damage in the right side because of the right side's constantly driving in the slush and slurry on the side of the road, oh. and the left side of the road is a lot more dry, a lot faster. So we do we do see that. It's not usually okay. to the extreme okay. level that this car was, but it is not uncommon. Well, for the, it's funny because the rest of the car, like the body of the car, is very solid. Suspension arms, which are just stamped steel, were rusty. Like the front control arms, one of the ball joints was the boot was ripped, but they were like super crusty. So I just replaced them anyways, both sides. And also threw in uh, the white line caster bushings in the rear, like I did the tail and the gallant. Yep. Which uh, I, if they make them for your car, I the, recommend them. The rear of the front arms. The rear of the front arms. Yeah. yeah. Just they just push the ball joint forward a little bit to give you caster like in a in a uh, shopping cart. Mm-hmm. So it makes the car want to be on center. Like the steering feels more on center. Yeah, it feels more responsive. Yeah. Um, and they're literally like super easy to install. And they're like 30 bucks. And especially if you're just doing them when you're doing new arms. It's like perfect. It's almost a no brainer at that point. Yeah, so I did those. Um and uh, I only did the arm that was rotted because the other arm has the working rear ABS sensor on it. Like it's bolted to it. And I was like, I don't want to mess with that today. Right. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to have to buy two sensors that like that needs like a lot of attention to like get it off safely because it's it's just got like 10 mil studs like going through it. Yep. Take a lot sure of rusty time and effort to make sure it comes out right. Um, plus the other side seemed like it was a little more seized. So I need to source all the hardware. Like the arms are better, but the bolt was seized. 
So, because it's got the super long, it's almost like a 10 inch long bolt that goes through the knuckle. Like I said, if you've worked on the rear of a Subaru, it's the same exact setup. It's got the knuckle with the two arms and the super long bolt that goes through, and they seize on Subarus too. Wonder if there was some kind of cross engineering going on there. I don't know. It's probably just a similar design because, like I said, this car was available as all wheel drive in Japan. Right. So you could put rear axles there. Well, I know like the the rear diffs on a Subaru are the same as some old Nissans. That's true. So maybe the rear diff on the four wheel drive version is the same as the Subaru version and that necessitated, you know, a similar design for the suspension. I don't know. Just yeah, maybe. Just a thought. Um, I know what I'll probably do, though, is knowing that the ABS sensors are hard to get out of that rear knuckle, is when I get all the rear hardware and I go to do those arms, I'll probably also do, well, we have to do one more thing. We want to switch the connectors in the back for the ABS sensor, see if it travels to the other side. But I'm pretty confident it's that sensor because that's the only thing that's acting up. Yep. I will take the entire knuckle out. And we'll put it in the vice and work on getting it out there instead of trying to do it in the car. Yeah, it's it's funny because now that you have the ABS system pretty much working, when that sensor throws its weird fault and the ABS pump just turns on when it shouldn't, it's actually kind of frightening. <laughs> yeah, I let you drive it. It's a little weird if you're not yeah. don't know what's happening. Yeah, because it doesn't. Sometimes it comes on right away when you drive, or sometimes it'll take like miles to come on. And then yeah, so when, when the ABS light is off, occasionally the ABS pump will just come on like it needs to be working, and the car is not sliding in any way, and it's a very unsettling feeling as you're slowing the car down. Yeah, because it's so, taking pressure away from you. It's really weird. Yeah, it's a very strange feeling. Other than that, though, the car is a blast. Like, that's a super fun car to drive. It is. And unfortunately, the uh, shift knob started to fall apart on me the other day. Yeah, minor detail. But the car itself is is a super fun car to drive. I see why, you know, the Sentra SERs and the you know G20s and the G20Ts were such popular cars because the motor is fun, the chassis is fun. I know they're different chassis, but they're probably a very similar driving experience. It reminded me a lot of a, and I think you said the same thing, a, a more cushy version of our old Mirage, which is one of the most fun front-wheel drive cars I've ever owned. Yeah, so. it just has, uh, it's more sound ending. Uh, better put together, it feels like. Yeah, well, it's a, again, it was sold by a premium brand, not Mitsubishi's yeah. entry-level car, but it's just a very similar driving experience. So it's uh, it's a very nice car, and uh, whether you decide to keep it or move it on, either you or the next owner will be very happy with it. So it's certainly... I had to try to tempt myself not to buy it from you, so I did enjoy it that much. Yeah, it's tempting. I I do like it, yeah. but I would like to try something else. So we'll see. Well, that's what we got to learn: how to not be hoarders of cars and learn how to own them for a little while and move on to the next. Yeah, I was thinking well, about that today when I was thinking about all the broken cars that always seem to exist in my life. The problem is, it's like a decent car, so I don't want to let it go for cheap because I'm not in a bind to get rid of it. No. And you got a pretty good deal on it. And then at the same time, it needed a bunch of work. So you want to at least make sure that you can get back your investment. 
So yeah, and I want to enjoy my work to it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not saying you should even try to sell it right away. You can enjoy it for the season. You know, it's a great summertime driver for you right now. Take it places where you wouldn't want to. I don't know, maybe drive the Galant and leave the Galant somewhere. You could probably take this car. Yeah, I've been driving it on weekends. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good car. I enjoy it immensely. I hope it's still there when I come back to visit in August so I can drive it again. <laughs> oh, it probably will be. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, so the Camaro projects went pretty smoothly. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit in the story and then we can rewind. I drove the car pretty much as a daily all week. Um, I took it to New Hampshire and then back to Mass. I took it up all the way up to Cornish High Maine which is probably 130 miles each way. Uh, and the car performed pretty admirably. Uh, the only issue the car still does have is it still is leaking oil. I'm not sure from where. It's not leaking on anything hot and burning like it was on the valve covers, but it's leaking at the point where if you drive the car slowly in the driveway, you can see it drip every like foot. So that's a pretty good amount of oil. Uh, and that equated to about a half a quart every 150 miles or so. So that's not ideal. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just made sure that I kept, you know, I put gas in it every 150 miles or so. I just checked the oil and it'd be done about a half a quart and I just top it off and, and be fine. So it's not, it's not leaking anywhere obvious. Um, I have two theories. One of them is the rear main seal. Yeah, because on top of it, the clutch started slipping a little bit. Mm. So under two situations, the clutch started slipping. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has oil on it. It's also probably the original clutch in the car from 1968. Yeah, because there's no record of it ever having been changed. And the car has been in our possession since 1988. So I don't know for a fact that it could just be a worn out clutch, but there was one point where I was getting onto Route 128 in Danvers, and they're having construction. And you get to the end of the ramp, and it's not a yield. It's because of construction, they currently have a stop sign. So you have to come from a dead stop and then merge onto the highway, which is obviously not ideal. Um, so I did it. So I was a little more aggressive accelerating there than I would have been around town. Um, and I did it, and the rear wheel axle hopped a little bit. And then when it caught traction, the clutch slipped. But I was pretty heavy into it at that point. So it was a combination of heavy revs and the wheel spin stopping and the clutch slipped and it slipped pretty good to the point that it smelled pretty bad and the car has a convertible and I could smell it. So that wasn't ideal. And then we got off the highway at the next exit and we're going to the, the Wednesday night, you know, cruise night at the local, the local mall. And we stopped at the, the, the coffee drive in on the way through the drive through on the way there. And the clutch was chattering pretty bad in the drive through. So definitely got pretty hot pulling on the highway right there. So it, it seemed to be okay. Once I left the car show that night, it cooled off. But then on the last night when I was putting the car back away, I had to kind of, the car is kind of a bear to drive at slow speeds. You know, it's a 68 Camaro. So it's kind of heavy. It's got, you know, big old tires on it and no power steering. So when you're going at a very slow rate of speed, it's it's kind of, it's a pretty good upper body workout, actually, I would say. So I was really like maneuvering the steering wheel, moving the car into its like tight parking spot where it's stored. And the clutch was slipping a little bit as I was trying to climb the little hill to get it where it's stored. 
and uh, it's uh, it was starting to smell again there. So uh, I'm pretty sure the clutch in that car is not long for this world, but I'm not mm. sure if it's the rear main seal that's leaking uh, or if it's leaking somewhere else. It's either that or it's coming from the pan itself. So I need to uh, get a better look at it on the lift and see if I can figure out where it's happening from and, and go from there. But I, I did all the typical clutch tests you do to see how bad the clutch is. Like, you know, put it in third gear at 30 miles an hour and stop on it and see if it slips. And it didn't. The only time it was an issue was, you know, first gear from a stop or maneuvering in a tight area, climbing a small hill. So that's, it's one of those things where it's like, I think it might, but we'll see. So I'm not worried about it. I, I sat down this past week, you know, driving the car every day, you know, and, and we probably put 600 miles in the car this week, which is a pretty good amount of miles for a 1968 car that hasn't been driven in two years. Yeah. So we probably put 600 miles or so on it. Um, and I was contemplating how much money I've spent on that car over the years in maintenance and, re- and repairs. Not a lot. I don't even think it's been a thousand dollars. I think that's your most reliable car. Yeah. No, I mean, no question. I mean, the the timing chain broke probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Probably. I don't remember. Um, yeah, it was before I bought my first house. So it was a long time ago. Um, and when that happened, it bent a valve, which is rare for a small block Chevy, but it happened. So I redid the top end of the motor and I had the heads machined when I did that. So that was probably five or six hundred dollars, um, and then maybe another hundred dollars in parts for the new timing chain and gaskets and stuff. Um, I've never had to do brakes in the car; the brakes are in good shape. I've never had to do anything to the front end, the suspension. Um, before I took the car out this week, I jacked it up and I checked all the ball joints and the tie rods, and made sure everything was tight because I couldn't remember the last time I did that. <laughs> so was I it did grease it. fittings. I did it just to be sure. No, no, it's modern enough to not have that. So weird. Yeah, there was no, uh, no, not much maintenance has been done on the car. In fact, we were kind of chuckling because I put those wheels and tires on it in like 1999. And I know at the time the tires were used, they weren't brand new. So 1999 was 22 years ago. So we knew the tires were at least 22 years old. Um, and actually, we checked the date codes. And they were from the 45th week of 95 or 94. So the tires mm, are s- pretty old, <laughs> but I mean, they're still in decent shape. They're not dry rotted. There's no, they're a little hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they weren't performance tires to begin with. So they're just a, you know, run of the mill all season and in a, almost like a truck size. They're like a 205, 75, 14. So they're just a, a long wearing hard tire and I, I drove the car in the rain this week and they were fine. So it was, it was surprising. The plan was to put new tires on it on this trip. And I just didn't, didn't wind up doing it. So yeah, it's been, it's been a great car. I, I, I can't complain. You know, again, this, this year marks the, how old am I? Now? I'm 40 now. So it's 40 minus 16, 24, 26, 24. So that's, 24 years I've been driving the car and I've spent maybe a thousand dollars in maintenance. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty good. I, the only thing that ever really broke other than the timing chain was the oil line 
from the fitting on the uh, uh, intake manifold to the mechanical pressure gauge in the car. I think that was $8. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, maybe an hour and a half of my time. <laughs> so I can't complain at all. I guess they don't make them like they used to. I guess not. I guess that what we're saying here is our, uh, our old man analogy is they just don't make them like they used to. So I did redye the carpet once too, which is pretty much due for again, I think. Yeah, I feel like that was when you first put it on the road. And maybe a little after that. It was pro- I was probably, we'd say if I've been driving for 24 years, that was probably 20 years ago I did that. So, and it's a convertible and anytime I use it, it's nice out. So tops always down whenever the car is out. So the black carpet is starting to, to fade pretty good again. And I'll probably have to re-dye it again, but again, not the end of the world. So, and the rest of the car is original. So literally nothing's been, nothing's been ever done to it. Hmm. But anyway, done waxing ecstatic about my really reliable Camaro because I don't want to say too much because now next time I take it out, something bad will happen. Well, I mean, maybe you expend that all on other cars because how about that Colt? What Colt? There's no Colt. (laughs) All right. So the next project car update from this week, this week was a week of project car updates because that was the plan. I was going to Massachusetts and all right. So start from the beginning. I was going to Massachusetts the ultimate plan was to fix the red sob brakes, get the yellow Colt to the point where it would run so that I could get it on a transport truck across the country. So that the next time I came out there, I could concentrate on the white Gallant VR4. You know, just knock down one car at a time, right? So right before I left, um, my cousin called me and he said, hey, you had offered me the sob for sale a long time ago. I'm ready to buy it. So I said, okay, we'll chat about it when I get there. So long story short, I sold the Saab officially. Um, but also not officially because it still sits at my parents' driveway. So my cousin doesn't have his license yet. He's working on that. And I told him that I'll be back there at the end of July or August. I'll take his money now because he wanted me to take his money because he didn't want to spend it on other things as 20-year-olds would do. Um, I said, I'll come back in August. I'm already coming back. I'll go through the car with you. The car needs a brake job. We'll do the brakes together so you can learn how to do the brakes. If between now and then you decide you don't want the car, let me know and I'll give you your money back and I'll do the brakes and I'll sell the car myself. So I didn't officially sell the car, but I think I sold the car because I have the money in my bank account. And it'll be good to teach my cousin how to do the brakes in the car and do the basic maintenance, having to do an oil change and a coolant flush and all those things that a car needs. Because it'll be good for him to learn how to do that so he can drive this 1997 car in 2021, right? On a nice, obscure, weird car that's different from every other car. Yeah, exactly. That's what he wanted. He didn't want the same thing all his friends had. He wanted something something weird and different. So a Saab 9000 Turbo is weird and different, that's for sure. I mean, so, when they all have Altimas, it's probably. Yeah, they probably do. I don't know what they have, but <laughs> I would I would guess Altimas and Civics. <laughs> I guarantee it's Altimas. Yeah. And 8th Gen Civics. Yes. Anyway, uh, is that what 20-year-olds drive nowadays? 
It has to be. Yeah, probably. I feel like I just see so many. Those Ultimas are going to inherit the Earth. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's uh, he's 20 years old. He's figuring out life. You know, he's got his a steady job and, you know, hopefully this helps him get through the next step. Right. So that was part of the plan that didn't happen. The next part of the plan that didn't happen was the yellow 1974 uh, Dodge Colt, which 74 means it's a rebadged Mitsubishi Galant, second gen Galant. Um was supposed to just get new ignition parts and new fuel system parts and drain and fill the fuel tank. Uh, all right. And for the folks at home, if you're confused about which cult this is, I don't, I can't keep track of them anymore either. Um, There's only two that matter. Okay. There's the blue 78 Colt Lancer. And this is the, um, I always called it yellow. I've now been informed that it's mustard or rust colored, or as Joe has now coined rusted. It's the more accurately, it's the dried up mustard on the top of the bottle. Yeah, but not like yellow mustard, like fancy mustard. Dijon. Yeah. Like the dried up Dijon. Dried around up, crusty the Dijon. Part. Yeah. But I like it, so it's fine. Yeah. Do you have any rusty gray poupon? Yes. Plenty of it in the driveway still, because the story will tell you why. So the backstory of the car is... I was actually a little frightened when I learned how long ago I bought the car. Do you remember when I bought that car? Nope. So it was very easy to date it because I took delivery of it from the truck. uh, And I was prepping to go out the door to our friend Keith's wedding. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's October of 2014. Oh, and now he has like. Now he has an almost four year old. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he didn't have a kid right away. So 2014 to 2021 is October of this year will be seven years. I've owned the car. Oof. Right? For those of you that know me personally, the last seven years have been a bit tumultuous. The last three years have been great, but the five years before that were a bit rough. So the car never got worked on. Other cars got priority. I did get the whole car cleaned up when I first got it. And the first thing we did with the car was I made sure the engine was free and turned over, which it did. Operative word there is did. So the car stayed stored in a rented garage for most of the time I had it. Um, It sat there with other, you know, rotating cast of broken cars going in and out around it. Um, But it was always on the back burner. The reason this car is special is because there's a little bit of a neat story behind it. I'll probably get into that at a different time, but the car only has 10,000 original miles on it. Verifiably, obviously 10,000 miles, just looking at everything in the car, like the wear patterns on the brake pad, brake, brake pedal and gas pedal. And the, the car just was never used, you know, inside the engine, we pulled the valve cover off. We'll get to that in a minute, but is it's this still a had- car worth. This is a car worth thousands of pennies on BAT because it has 10,000 miles on it. Thousands. Yeah. Thousands of pennies. Yeah. One penny per mile. Um, we pulled the valve cover off and it still had like assembly marks in the engine. Like there was still assembly colors on some of the the valve springs and some of the, the bolts. So that's how fresh this motor is inside. So I got it off the hill where it's currently stored, where it's been stored since I moved out here or since I 
got rid of the garage that I was renting in Massachusetts. So probably was probably the very end of last summer. Wasn't it, Andrew? I think yep. probably October of last year. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember if we talked about getting this car off the U-Haul trailer. We thought the brake stuck. Yeah. <laughs> but it was on the safety chain. We forgot to disconnect the safety chain. Yeah. We're like heaving and hoeing on the thing. And yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, the safety yeah. chains. <laughs> so those safety chains work. So do use those. Yes, absolutely. The they do. Um, so anyway, the car got rolled up the hill. Um, the last time I spun the motor over was probably two or three years ago. So I always assumed everything was fine. I got the car off the hill on Tuesday of this week. Tuesday or Wednesday. And I put a battery in it. Didn't buy a battery because, you know, I wasn't sure the car was going to run or not. And I didn't want to spend, you know, the $4 million that a battery costs nowadays. So I, I robbed the battery from the Camaro, actually. And I put it in the car. And I went to turn it over. And the engine went and stopped. Like maybe an eighth of a crank. Like, that was it. I was like, that was weird. And I went to crank it over again and it just clicked. And I cranked it again and it just clicked. I was like, all right, well, that's not good. Hey, the battery's dead. So we tried to jump it. Nope, just clicked. Okay. So now we're trying to figure out what's going on. I said, well, maybe the starter is stuck. You know, it's making a, a click, like a, not a click, 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 like a dead battery, but like a, just a one clang. Yeah. So I said, maybe the starter's stuck. So we did the typical grab the board and the hammer and whack on the starter a little bit and try to click it again and click nothing. All right. That's weird. So at this point, the thought is if the starter jammed open and is jammed against the ring gear, maybe, maybe, maybe like strong, maybe. So we took the starter off the car um, and then went to turn the motor over by hand and the motor wouldn't turn by hand. Wouldn't go forwards, wouldn't go backwards, wouldn't do anything. So now we're like, damn it, this motor's locked up. Why is this motor locked up? It was free forever. It only has 10,000 miles on it. It doesn't have like a bad head gasket. So we'll pull the plugs and see if they're rusty. So we pulled all four plugs out of it. None of them had any sign of any kind of corrosion on them beyond anything normal. So that wasn't it. Wasn't like filled up with water somehow. So at that point, the best bet is to fill all the cylinders through the spark plug holes with Marvel Mystery Oil. So we did. We filled all of it with Marvel Mystery Oil. Waited 24 hours, tried to crank it over by hand. Nothing. Filled them again, waited another 15 hours, tried to crank it over by hand. Nothing. So we're not getting anywhere with the stupid thing. Um, pulled the valve cover off to see if anything obvious is is broken or there's like a, a valve hung up or something stupid well didn't my dad come over and like did a compression test that's point? that's coming up um we didn't do a compression test because we couldn't spin the motor over oh but what we did was a leak down test oh okay that's what you guys did yeah so we put compressed air into each spark plug hole you know after pulling the valve cover off and checking to see if there was anything like a stuck valve and nothing seemed obviously stuck you know, everything was where it belonged as far as the rockers and the camshaft and everything. Um, oh, I think my dad said one of the valves was stuck. He had to knock it. So, you know, you, you jump ahead of me here, Andrew. You, weren't, I, here. you, right. you weren't here. You weren't here. So let's. Uh... <laughs> so we went to the leak down test 
That's when you take, you know, a fitting that screws into the spark plug hole and you pump compressed air into the piston and you can hear the air either running down past the rings and you'll hear it kind of bubbling up in the crankcase or you'll hear it if there's a stuck valve, it'll come rushing out an exhaust port or it'll come rushing out the carburetor. So we went to cylinder number two, we put the thing on and the air came rushing out the carburetor, meaning that the valve was stuck open a little bit. So he just tapped it with a hammer and it closed up fine and everything was sounding like it should be. Same thing on cylinder number three. Now that could just be because the car sat for so long and, you know, probably would have fixed itself if the motor was turning over and running. But since it wasn't, it just kind of like was kind of hung half open. So or not even half, like a, a hundredth open because all it took was a couple of taps with a dead blow to, to close it off. So we knew that wasn't the problem. So now, you know, we're trying to pump compressed air in there and see if it'll, you know, turn the motor a little bit. Obviously, it doesn't work. So the, the final step now is, well, there's only a couple more things to check. Let's make sure it's not something stupid. Like, let's make sure the water pump is spinning freely, and let's make sure the alternator is spinning freely, and it's not holding us up, you know, something external. So we pulled the belt off and spun the alternator and the water pump, and they both spun just fine. I mean, we are pretty sure that wasn't going to be it, but you never know, right? So that wasn't it. So now it's like, well, we have two choices. We either stop everything now and just give up and worry about it another time. Or we're already trying to diagnose it. Just take the cylinder head off and damn the torpedoes. So decided the best bet was to take the cylinder head off and figure out what's going on. Thankfully, it's a pretty simple car. It's just a standard, you know, overhead cam inline four, nothing spectacular. Take the head off, look down in the cylinders. We can physically move um, one, two, and three front to back a little bit. So you can see them just move a little bit in there, in the piston wall, in the, in the, um, in the cylinder bore. Number four, when you go to try to move it, it feels like it's part of the engine. It feels like it's cast to the cylinder, to the, um, to the block. It's it's hard to explain in words, but you know, even though it's only moving like a micrometer, you can feel that movement in your finger. And when you get to that number four and you kind of do the same push movement on it, you can't feel any movement at all. And it's just like you're just you're fighting against you know one solid one solid piece. So we're like, well, it's clearly number four. So at this point, we had had Marvel Mystery Oil sitting in it, you know, for probably close to forty eight hours. And it wasn't freed up. We did a couple other mixes of like acetone and transmission fluid and all the other, you know, old mechanic hacks that they say. Um, and then our last ditch effort was hammer and block of wood. Hmm. And that's where Andrew comes in. Because <laughs> at that point, I was pretty run down and pretty tired. Uh, and I couldn't get a good swing on the hammer. In fact, I hit the hammer into my hand at one point, and I still have, I wouldn't call it, I definitely didn't break it, but I definitely didn't do well to it either. So, Yeah, cigarettes. once we took the hood off, we get to that back cylinder. I think that's what did the trick. We were trying to hit that number four cylinder with the wood and the hammer, and we couldn't get it done because um, we didn't have enough room to get a good swing on the hammer. And I was like, well, let's take this hood off. <laughs> it's only four yeah, bolts. Let's get it out of the way because blocking yep. the hammer. That felt like it was like a 
five pound ball peen. Yeah, probably. It was pretty heavy. It was yeah. it was heavier than it looked. Yep. Um, Through a piece of wood that we cut down to fit inside the the, the uh, cylinder bore itself, and then we actually put a piece of. Um, yeah, it's part of a two by four. It was a very expensive tool. Yes, at <laughs> this time, this time of year, yes, it was. Um, so we actually put a like a rag inside there so that if the wood hit the side, it wouldn't damage the cylinder walls. But oh, the wood wouldn't anyways. It so shouldn't, soft. but yeah. So anyway, so at that point, we get the hood off, and Andrew is determined, uh, and he's whacking this thing about as hard as he has his full strength, and he was like trying to hit the bell at the top of the strongman machine at the fair, uh, and I'm watching the timing mark on the cam gear was like perfectly lined up with this little shelf below the cam gear. And after, I don't know, probably 10 swings, the hammer, I thought I saw it move like the smallest amount. And I got all excited and I was like, Andrew, keep hitting that thing. So he kept hitting it and kept hitting it and kept hitting it. And what did you say? About five minutes of hitting it. You finally got it free. Well, then you worked it with the breaker bar and all of a sudden it like popped. Yeah. And then it was pretty much free. And then we just kept spraying PB Blaster in there and, and going back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Like kind of rocking it. And then it spun free, which it's it's crazy, right? Like an engine, it's like thousands of an inch tolerance. Yep. And that's all it took was just a little bit of rust to seize up the rings. Because you, you got to figure the rings are kind of, they kind of spring loaded. So they, they touch the cylinder walls, but then the piston kind of free floats because mm-hmm. otherwise it would seize. And it has to have enough of a gap that when it heats up, it still doesn't seize. Right. So it's it's like so close, right? So it doesn't take much. Well, the other thing is that they're, you know, it's a steel block and they're aluminum pistons too. So any kind of corrosion would cause, you know, a reaction between the two as well. So it could have been, whether it was in the rings or it was on the pistons, I don't know, but it was de- I, yeah. I, actually, you know what? It was definitely the rings because there was a rust color, you know, when we started moving it, that was appearing. Yeah. The rings the are, walls. I think a steel material. I don't know. Yeah. They're steel. So, um, so that's it. That, so my theory is that since this thing hadn't run in so long, you didn't have any type of oil spray windage throwing oil up on the cylinder walls. And they eventually just from just moisture being in the air, they just rusted. Yeah, that's got to be what it was. I mean, the car sat, the garage it was kept in wasn't, you know, again, it's not a climate controlled, beautiful facility. It's a, a metal building that was on the side of the Merrimack River. Uh, and there was many a time where I'd go in that garage on a warm day in, in wintertime, you know, and the cold snow on the roof and the cold snow outside, the cars inside would be covered in dew. Because just the temperature difference between inside the building and outside the building. And it wasn't it wasn't ideal. I mean, it's better than the car being outside, but it wasn't the perfect storage location. It was cheap. It worked. It, it did mostly what it was supposed to do, but it was definitely not dry. And I think that had a huge factor on why that happened to that car. So, I mean, it sat in that storage facility there probably for three and a half years. So that's, you know, not great, <laughs> not ideal in the grand scheme of things. But anyway, so it's free now. The next problem came when this was on what Friday we got it free Friday night. No, or Saturday, Saturday, Saturday morning. So yeah. Saturday morning, we got it free. And I'm like, all right, well, if I could find a head gasket local, 
I'll go pick it up and I'll slam this car back together and we still have time to make it run. So I started my search by looking for a part number on Rock Auto, like I always do. Um, and Rock Auto did not list a head gasket for the car. And I was like, mm. this is not ideal. Because if Rock Auto doesn't list a head gasket for the car, who will? It turns out nobody. Because <laughs> he went to all the local parts stores and nobody even had a listing for a head gasket for a 74 Colt with a 2.0. So we weren't getting the car back together before I had to leave on Monday. I did find the parts. Uh, they were some on eBay. Um, I think there were three of them available, so I bought all three of them. Um, <laughs> listen, the way I... Oh, man, screw those other guys with two-liter Colts. Well, the way I look at it, the, that particular 2.0 went from like 19... I think 74 might have been the first year to like 88. And it came in everything from Colts to Vans to Mighty Max pickups. And I'm a pretty dumb person. And I'm probably going to own one of each of these vehicles over time. So I'm going to need another head gasket for these at some point in my life. So okay. I bought all three of them. And that means there's three of them on eBay right now. It doesn't mean there's not going to be three of them again in the future on eBay when some other old stock gets bought out. So I just figured I'll grab them. That way I don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, you think that. You apparently have the only ones left on Earth. Which is fine because I own them and I'll probably own more of them because I, again, am not a smart man. So I want to have the parts to fix them. I don't consider it hoarding. I consider it future-proofing. <laughs> Which you're laughing in your head saying that's just hoarding, yeah. Brad. But that's okay. Um, I'm hoarding with purpose. It's the Boy Scout motto, being prepared. Anyway, so I did order the parts. They will not they won't be there in time to have me fix it before I go back to Arizona because I'm already back in Arizona. So this just means that next time I come, I'll have to concentrate still on getting that card done and not start working on the white gallant. But hmm. it is what it is. So So the next day, uh, Sunday morning. I went ahead and I covered the entire engine inside and out in fluid film so it won't rust again. I put the old head gasket back on. I put the cylinder head on and I bolted the head bolts back on. I didn't torque them down or anything. I just bolted them down to seal off the inside of the engine um, and unfortunately pushed it back up on the hill. So when I get back there late July, early August, I can roll it back off the hill again. Uh, take that head right off, clean off the block, clean off the bottom of the head, clean off the mating surfaces, put a new head gasket on it, and hopefully uh, not have a challenge of making the car run. So I'll still have to start from scratch with all the ignition and all the fuel system, but at least at least the motor's going to be freed up. So, mm. And at least it's not a difficult engine to work on, right? Nope. So I was talking to your dad about it, and he's like, listen, Probably part of the problem is that it only has 10,000 miles on it. He's like, the thing's yeah. not, not worn out at all. So like, tolerances are still very tight. He's like, and if it had more miles on it, that small little, you know, tiny bit of rust might not have made a difference. But because <laughs> the thing's still brand new and hasn't been driven very much, then. <laughs> Car is too, too new. Yeah, it's too, it's, my shitbox is too nice. I have the nicest ship boxes. It's like, I mean, 
you know, it's like these cream puff cars we're seeing now come up for auction that are like a, it'll be like a 2004 Mustang GT with 3,800 miles on it. Like, uh, okay. So I'm not afraid of those cars. I know one of the popular opinions is people are afraid of those cars. Like, oh, they're, they're going to need everything replaced. Well, not if they were stored properly. So not as long as they weren't stored like this cult. As long as I didn't own it, they're fine. Yeah. Like, I think right now, we were just talking before podcast, there's a Dodge Stealth RT, so the all-wheel drive, twin turbo, you know, the 3000 GT VR4 version of the Dodge Stealth, and it has like 64 miles on it. Why? I don't know. I don't know. The car's immaculate. What was was the long game that you were going to have the super low mileage car in 30 years? Well, here's the sad thing. There's... There's 20 hours left in the auction when I last yeah. checked it, and the car is at 40 grand. Yeah, so, so that car costs more know. than 40 grand new for sure. Absolutely, in yeah. 1990 whatever dollars, 92, 93. So that, yeah. so you're, it's actually would have been more now, accounting for inflation. So you're losing money on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my, my assumption is a dealership probably just kept it. Um, it was definitely kept in a nice area because they showed bottom pictures of the car and there's not even any corrosion on the exhaust. The factory exhaust is so shiny. So, I mean, the car is brand, brand new. That's but so bizarre. The sad thing is, though, if it was a 3000 GT, it'd probably be $100,000. Yeah, weird. But it's Dodge Stealth, which nobody really kind of went unloved compared to the 3000 GT, I think. Never really caught on with that whole you know, well, the, Canadian the, crowd because it wasn't the Japanese car and it didn't catch on with the American crowd because it was a Japanese car. <laughs> well, and the, and the Viper sort of eclipsed it, so to speak. Yes. Because that became Dodge's halo car. And well, not this, that. And, and the current vernacular, wouldn't it be a talent? It? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was bad. I apologize. Rewind 30 seconds and erase that and start over again. Nope. Damn it. I mean, uh, speaking of cars that have low mileage on them. You want Dodge Vipers? No, uh, the the Q. Oh, yeah, 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 your Q. Yeah, that was while we were we were letting your car soak in uh, Marvel Mystery Oil. I had uh, earlier in the week I had pulled the relays out that are underneath the battery that are common for the traction and slip lights to be on. Uh, and my dad and I t- tested them, and they tested fine. So I was like, well, I might as well put them back in. We had taken the battery out, and my dad's got a nice battery charger. We let it charge for like three days. So this this just goes to show you start with the basics if you're trying to fix a car. Yeah, of course. Um, so we checked the battery. It's also got a battery tester. It was 98%. And the battery looked pretty new. It was like Duralast. It didn't look like old and like acid leaking out of it. So I don't know how old the battery is but because it didn't have a date on it. But it tested well. So, um, I also know that when I was starting it, the car stunk like bad gas. Okay. Um, so I brought over five gallons of fresh gas, threw it in there. And the guy basically told me like it wouldn't drive without stalling. So he had all these theories that it was, he had the ECU out cause you can self diag it and stuff. And I was like, well, while we're waiting for this, uh, Mr. Oil to soak into Brad's car, let's start this car up, drive it up and down the street, see if it'll throw some codes and. I can figure out what's wrong with it. Yep. So I driving it, it's fucking installing. And then 
but it's kind of getting better here and there. Well, the first time you did it, you drove it kind of buck installed. It smoothed out a little bit. You came back in the driveway and I was like, well, let's just go fill it with gas. Like take it for a blast down, you know, 107. Like and you're like, I don't know. And I was like, no, let's just do it. And you're like, I don't know. So we drove off and everything seemed fine. And then we got to like, I don't know. It, it was that eighth of a mile down the street and it oh, stalled. It yeah. <laughs> barely, barely moved. Just like backfiring like crazy. It was awful. So I kept doing like little laps of oh, the neighborhood. I was just like, getting further and further. Maybe you're right, and Andrew. <laughs> and it kept getting smoother and smoother and smoother until it's like now it's running great. Yeah. We've done like four miles in it and it's running perfect. Yep. Which is wild to me that it was just like kind of an Italian tune up. Like it like it legit needed an Italian tune up. Yeah. Well, again, you said the guy you bought it from got it on eBay. So history unknown. He, he mistake well, it came with all the records and it did have like some sort of a stalling problem. And in their records it was like uh original fuel filter, change fuel filter, original plugs, put in OEM plugs, also recommend running premium gas like it supposed to take right um he apparently i remember him telling me he started on ebay he was always into q45s he had a couple he like just threw a bit on it thinking he wouldn't win won it car showed up guy lived in gloucester uh he didn't have a, like a he just had a house like a little row house there's no garage or anything so it seems like he never had a chance to really fiddle with this thing so who knows how long it was sitting before he got it and then it sat for like a year with yep. him yep so the fuel went bad yeah this ethanol fuel does not last long and you got to think about this car's a 1995 with fifty six thousand miles on it so obviously it spent time sitting somewhere yeah and uh it seemed like it struggled to start a little bit when i was looking at it so maybe the bat so in a car that's this complicated when the battery voltage is low it will throw trouble codes mm-hmm. and that's why the traction and slip lights are coming on more than likely um so it literally just needed a charge and fresh gas. I got to check a couple other things like the front end and stuff. Um, it could use four matching tires, but and I'm just going to clean it up. Yeah, you got to go through it, make sure the brakes are good, put new tires on yeah. it, clean it up. You know, it's got some little bit of paint damage here and there. It's it's, it's not a perfect car. It, it can be made a lot nicer with a little bit of TLC, as they say. It had the rear brakes done at Meineke at some point recently. I have the receipt for that. Okay. New belts put on it, new plugs, uh, new fuel filter, some sort of coolant flush. Cause the, I saw that in the records cause, and plus the coolant was like bright green. Ah, the good old BG upsell. Yeah. Whatever. It's nice and clean. And I don't want to see it like all muddy. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, and the, I think the oil was changed pretty recently cause it's like perfectly Cle- clean. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I gotta just double check the front brakes and the front end, and I'm gonna drive it around, clean it up. I put the ECU back to where it belongs. Um, it does seem to have a windshield leak on the top. That well, you can see where it's leaking. Here. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna need a windshield he did, guy. He did, he did tell me about that. Yeah, we're, uh, we're gonna need to get a windshield guy to actually take out the windshield and reseal it. There's a, a piece of that molding that's hanging it's not down the top seal. It is the top seal, but you got to take the windshield out to do it, I think. Or at least you got to have the molding taken out. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it's going to cost you 200 bucks. It's yeah. not a huge deal. 
Because the only other way to do it is to fill it with silicone, and it'll look terrible. So the car is too nice to, you know, hack back together. So I would gladly spend the couple hundred bucks to have a, a proper glass company pull the moldings off and do it right. As long as they can keep the glass. Yeah, they should be able to. Because it's not pitted, and it's the original glass, which is kind of yep. cool. Yeah, they, they may like not have to pull the whole... To me. Just... No, it's a great thing to have. They, they may not have to pull the whole glass out of it. They may just have to pull the moldings off around it. Because the way that glass is set into that car, you have that, that metal molding that goes around the edge that actually holds in the weather strip, essentially. And then the windshield itself is glued to the car. So yeah. the windshield goes in first, and the moldings go afterwards. Your leak is happening from those moldings in the top. So if they can pull those moldings off and then reseal it and put the moldings back on, you'll be good. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so I, I don't I don't think it will be a huge deal for a competent glass guy. So anybody but SafeLight can take care of that for you. Yeah. Well, so. you guys have a friendly friendly guy around here. We have we have two guys in the area, one in Salem, one in Lynn. So whichever one can take care of it for you. Yeah, whoever's comfortable with old cars. Um I would probably recommend to use Royal Glass, Brian at Royal. Uh, he's always done old car stuff. Yeah. So. But, yeah, but anyway, it's a pretty cool car. We drove it around the block and uh, it rides great. It's like big. It's it rides cool. like a 50,000 mile Q45 should. Yeah. So, um, I was surprised that it's like a 280 horsepower car. Yes. It's a very quick car. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good too. No, it's a really cool car. I I dig it a lot. I don't know that I'd want to own one because I don't want something that complicated from the nineties. It's a funny car looking at it, looking at the technology in it, and then also looking at the old school tech. Like it's a super complicated, you know, electronic system under the hood, but then it also had a clutch fan. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it has a serpentine belt, but it also has V belts. Yeah. It's just a very, it's that like change of technology time. Like it still had some rel- relation to like, you know, the American Lincoln Continental it was competing against, but also had some of the stuff that like the five series it was competing against had. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it's peak, it's peak Nissan. Peak, peak, peak. peak bubble era Nissan for sure. Yeah, For sure. I mean, it's it's a great car. The color's nice. I love the fact that it's a T. It has that cool spoiler on the trunk. Um, the leather is immaculate. I don't love the dealer installed wood trim package, but I could live with it. Yeah, I got to look into that because I, I think around the window switches is factory, but around the console, that doesn't that seems like that was an add on. I can look. I have all the paperwork. It looks at, it the looks list. aftermarket and the color doesn't match the ones that are on the door. Because I remember yeah. reading stuff now after you mentioned it that contemporary reviews were like, this is weird that it's a luxury car. It doesn't have faux wood because that was a, a thing. Right. All those luxury cars in that, in that class had wood dashes or wood accents. Right. But it was kind of designed to be a little bit different of a luxury car. It's supposed to be more of a sporty luxury car. Yeah, it was it was designed to compete against like the the five and even maybe the seven series. Oh, you definitely know, was, seven series. Yeah, it was a good size. You it's know, a big car. Yeah, a good size, but still competent fast car. Actually, I saw an M thirty just 
uh, yesterday when I got back here. Uh, and I wanted to chase the guy down and give him your phone number so you can add it to your collection of infinities. Yeah, only but... if it's a 95. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they made M30s in 95. I th- well, I think I think Myron's is a 95, so. This was, not, this was not a convertible. This was a coupe, which is even rarer. I'll have to... Um... I have to add Myron's when he's done with it to my yeah. <laughs> collection of ninety-five infinities. Yeah, and then I have to get a J thirty. Yeah, those are hard to find too. That's all of them. Yeah, that's all they yeah. had in ninety-five. They didn't they have had, the i thirty. They had a QX four too. Not ninety-five. Are you sure? Yep. Huh. That was that was until ninety-seven. Okay. So then they added the i thirties. So. You are you are the infinity guy, so I'll uh, I'll defer all opinions to you or all facts, I should say, to you. I never liked the QX4s Weird. anyway. They were just kind of ugly pathfinders. I know they're better looking pathfinders, but uh, second gens are good. Yeah, the second gens are better looking, I think. Yeah. Um, better than the Acura, which was just a Isuzu. Yeah. The Acura SLX. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. 95 is a good year for cars. Yeah, I guess so. I have to start collecting 95 Acuras just to compete with you. I need so I'll need an Integra and an RL. Or no, not an RL. Probably would have been a uh, what was the five series car? The Vigor. I think so. The five cylinder one, you mean? Yeah, five cylinder one. You said five series car. Oh well, BMW on the brain, I guess. Did, did the RL come out in the nineties? I don't remember. I don't know accuracy. I don't I, I don't, the only Acura I even cared about back then was the RSX. Oh, sorry. Wasn't the RSX? It was the Integra? Integra? Yeah, yeah, that would have been it. But anyway, excellent. So it was a good week of working on cars. Yeah, I'm hoping to carry it. Hoping to carry it into this week, and I've uh, been looking at uh, some machine shops for the cylinder head on the Toyota, the Acura Legend. Excuse me, that was the big Acura 95. Yeah. So. Hey, you know what's annoying is uh, I was talking about putting four matching tires on that car. Is finding fifteen-inch tires um, in a in a weird size because there are two fifteen sixty-fives, which is a really weird size. Tall. Uh, yeah, that's wide. like a, that's like a truck tire too. Um, but because the car originally came with V series tires, nobody makes no. Let's see, no, it does exist. A V series tire does exist, but it's all. Chinese brands. Okay. There's no name brand that makes a V series. So you can have Ling Long. I don't think it really matters. Like the best tire I could find that is a name brand is a Yokohama Touring S. So it's an S rated tire. That's probably fine. But it's a Yokohama. So yeah, I, I bet a 2021 S rated tire is every bit as good as a 95 V rated tire. Probably. You know, it's probably the same. I wish, like, yeah, because it's S is actually higher than H or T. I don't. It's like the highest rated one that was a name brand in that size I could find. Yeah, I, I think I would, if I were in the market to buy a car, I think I'd be more willing. If there were two cars, everything else was same for same, and one car had Yokohamas and S rated, and one car had like. I don't know, Ling Longs in a V-rated. Macho Machos. Um, I would probably go with the car of the Yokohamas. Yeah, there's definitely, you've said it before, there's definitely a thing about uh, 
when you look at what tires were on a car, kind of giving you a hint of how it was cared for. Yep. Like. Yep. Four matching I mean, tires is huge. Uh, maybe those tires are fine. Maybe they're not. I don't know. I just. I mean, we're. But you and I are both Yoko fanboys, but also it's a good name brand tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had we've run lots of sets of them and never had any issue. Yeah, it's so. like they're good. They're like a good tire to value. Like I would, if I could always get Michelin's that would fit the car properly, I would use Michelin's. But you can't yep. because they don't make them in the right sizes. Yep. So my next choice is Yokohama's. It's funny because I Naomi's car has got Michelin's on it. And they have like a truck size tire too, but I think they're a sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Once you, well, yeah, because there was sixteens. I had sixteen Michelin's on the um, Subaru, and they they were the Pilot all seasons, which are an awesome tire for an all season tire. They stick right. like a summer tire, but they're an all season tire. And when the factory Falcons wear out on my all track, I will switch to those Michelin all seasons for that because they're. Yeah, her car is like good. two twenty five, sixty five, sixteens. Yeah, they're stare, they they look like a truck tire looking next to the car. Yeah, it's weird. That's a twenty eleven Hyundai Sonata tire, but, but 16, that sidewall gives you a good ride. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a ten year old Korean car with two hundred and forty something thousand miles on it, and it still rides great. Yeah. So anyway. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we have all these good updates, and I hope that we can keep this going. Mm-hmm. So summertime is here where you are. So that means that uh, we're going to start having a lot of time to good weather so you can work on things. you got a few projects you got to get taken care of. Maybe this year will be the year for the intercooler in the Talon. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, I did buy four new jack stands for my garage over here so I could do more work over here. Excellent. It's easier sometimes just and quicker to do it here. Well, it's easier when you don't have to leave your house. Yeah. You know, that way you can um, put, put the kid down for a nap for an hour. You can get a ton accomplished. Um, but I did buy some nice OTC jack stands for like 60 bucks for the pair. Yeah, which is not bad you at get, all. You get little feet on them so they don't sink into pavement if you have to use them on pavement. And comparing them to a, a set of borrowed Harbor Freight ones, the welds are way better. Yep. Well, <laughs> we all know we all know the story of the Harbor Freight ones. So, oh yeah, the ones I have are the recalled ones still. Perfect. So, yeah, um, yeah. I've yeah. I've definitely learned as I've gotten older and more experienced at you know wrenching on things that there is no substitute for having proper tools. So, it makes a well, huge difference. These are made in China, but the quality control from OTC is better. Yep. And that's the that's the difference. Yeah. It's it's not really where they're made; it's how they're made to, to what quality they're made. Yeah, yeah. There's there's good products that come out of China. I mean, everybody's everybody's iPhone they pay a thousand dollars for where it comes from there. You know. Yeah, so, that's true. A lot of the components in, in every car on the road come from China. It's all again, like you said, all these little diecasts we're buying. Those are all Chinese for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's it's uh it's, the, it's not the death sentence for things that it used to be. It used to be stuff made in China was garbage, but there's definitely a lot of good product coming out of there now. So this could be a whole other podcast about world economy, but I don't know enough to talk about it any more than that. So I'll no. stop. I'll just stop it right there. No. Oh. All right, sir. 
Well, I guess we should call it a podcast. I think we should. So, as always, follow us on uh, Off Topic on Instagram, Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, uh, Off Topic on Twitter if you want. Follow me, Race and Anger. I'm on Instagram. And it's also Race and Anger on Twitter if you want. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me mostly on Instagram, TSISS350. Upcoming events, uh, probably the next big event is early July. will be Radwood NorCal, uh, which I officially am 100% going to now. Cool. That's a decent drive. Yeah, it's like 11 hours or so. Yeah, so so you you did get to try the Tyne combo with the... Uh, GR2s. The Tyne and KYB combo. I'm not sure combo. we talked about that. No, did we? Well, we'll talk about mm-hmm. it next time. Yeah. Bought a new spring compressor for that and everything. But anyway, you did try that, and it's pretty good. Yeah. So I feel like people don't listen after we end the show, so if we start talking about something else now, nobody's going to hear it. That's fine. That's so, fine. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it next time. <laughs> we will. All right. So, so as always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Bye.